community for people who've given up on church but not on God. If you'd like to learn more about our locations in Huntersville, Davidson, and Denver, North Carolina, you can check us out online at lakeforest.org. Thanks! One of my favorite things about Lake Forest is just the, the dynamic team of teachers and preachers that we have. Uh, and today you are getting to hear from my all-time favorite Lake Forest preacher coming from Davidson, our elder, uh, Holly Worsley. So would you put your hands together and give a warm welcome to Holly as she comes this morning. Good morning, friends. So good to be with you the day before the day, right? The day before the day. Let me pray for us and we're going to jump right in. Father, thank you for a moment this morning to pause in all the fullness and all the busyness and all the people and rest and listen for you. Would you help us do that this morning, God? Would you help us listen for you for our own hearts in our own story? Father, I know that there's folks that barely got in here this morning, and I pray especially for them this morning that you would bless and encourage and strengthen them. But God, would you speak into each of our hearts and minds and souls and story this morning by the power of your spirit and by the power of your word. In the name of Jesus, we ask that. Amen. Well, tis the season, right? And I'm not talking lights, trees, cards, presents. You're getting tired just listening to me, right? I'm not even talking about Jesus for just a second. I'm talking about that I bet that everybody in here, at least once in your life, and maybe this season, has done something during the Christmas season just because that's the way we always do it. Anybody? Anybody? Right? And you might not even remember why your family is doing it anymore. I heard a great story about this, this, this season. Uh, a friend of mine said, think of me tonight. And I said, wow, what's going on? I'll be at Christmas bingo. I said, no, 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 no. I need this story. I need to understand this story. She said, well, my husband's great-grandparents had 10 grandchildren, and they couldn't afford to get presents for all of them, so they came up with this great idea, which was to go to the dollar store and get 10 presents and then have this big party where they played Christmas bingo with their grandchildren. So fun, so good, so joyful. That was two generations ago. They're still playing, people, and that those 10 kids now are represented by over 100 people that gather to play Christmas bingo. Here's how it works now, two generations later. You're instructed to each bring seven dollar store gifts, and you don't stop playing bingo when you win. You stop playing when all the presents are gone. This sometimes takes three or four hours of their lives. You can't get that back, people. That's three or four hours given to Christmas bingo. And nobody even knows why they're playing anymore. And I got thinking about that and laughing, and I was like, you know what? We could do that with church. We could do it at Christmas time. We could come to church just because that's what we've always done. And you know what? We don't want to do this whole Christmas season in our heads and our habits. We don't want to go through this whole Christmas season and realize that we never truly engaged our souls. We never stopped. We never paused for a minute to say, how's my soul really 
followers of Christ have long understood that that first Christmas, Christ came to fulfill soul longings. In the very depth of who we are, Jesus came to fulfill, to provide what we cannot provide for ourselves. Things like hope and joy and love and peace. Of course, we live in the reality, you and I, that the world is desperately lacking in those things, isn't it? And so this Christmas, we want to pause for a minute and remember that Christmas means two promises. Christmas is evidence of two very beautiful things. God wants to bring his people home. And God wants to give us back what has been stolen from our souls. God wants to bring his people home. That's who he is. And he wants to restore in us what's been stolen from our souls by this world. And so we've talked about in the last week's hope that that God can bring and wants to bring hope in our story today, in our relationships today, in our decisions today. And that's present. But he also brings hope in the sense that when you're in Christ, you will be with him forever. And that one day, he's coming back. And it won't be as a baby this time. It'll be as a mighty king warrior. And at that point, he will set straight all that breaks our heart in this world. He will make it right, and he will set it straight, and it will be new and beautiful. And that gives us hope. And we've talked about peace. And sometimes we think as humans that peace is the absence of conflict, right? Like, I'm not in conflict anywhere right now, so I feel pretty peaceful. But God's word for peace is shalom. It doesn't mean peace like we define it. It means to bring as a verb, God is bringing shalom in your life. That means completeness and restoration. The God of the universe that saw who you were, that he created you to be before sin and brokenness and evil banged into your life, into your story, God is actively desiring to bring shalom, completeness, restoration, healing in your soul. That's God's peace. It's a verb. And we talked about love. This season truly is God, Emmanuel, the God of the universe in the form of Jesus, the representation of the invisible God, the image of the invisible God, Jesus, walk among us. That God's love pursues us, comes after us, desires us. And then there's joy, the giver of joy. This morning we want to look at joy in regard to, uh, through the passage Zephaniah 3. And just in case Zephaniah is not like your favorite Bible read, right? Okay, just in case. That's why God gave you the table of contents, okay? In case you want to go find Zephaniah later, just look him up there and flip to him. We're going to look at Zephaniah 3. And, but before we do, I want, to, I want to tell you who this Zephaniah was. And I want to tell you what he said in Zephaniah 1 and 2. See, Zephaniah lived among a people in a world much like ours. It was a world that was desperately lacking in hope, love, joy, peace. That's who he was talking to. People just like you and I living in a broken world. Zephaniah was God's prophet to his people, to the Israelites. Today, we're God's people. 
And Zephaniah was a prophet. He was meant to be a mouthpiece for God to God's people, to guide them, to correct them, to encourage them, mouthpiece for God to his people. And here's what Zephaniah 1 and 2 gets at. See, God's people were living geographically in a place where, maybe you remember some of these guys from your history books. The Assyrians were near them, the Babylonians, the Moabites. They were surrounded by these cultures that had nothing to do with God, wanted nothing to do with God. And here was the, the mission of God's people. You ready? Just be a light. Just be, I'll be your God and you be my people and live in such a way that these people that are ho hopeless and broken and in darkness around you, they go, huh, maybe God is real. Just live like a light. But the truth is, we are all, even today, God's people, we're leaning towards building our life based on how the world says build it. Or we're leaning towards building our life based on how God says build it. And, and you know what? I want there to be a neutral. <laughs> I want there to be like, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. It's good. I'm just kind of drifting along. It's all good. But there's really not a neutral, is there? We're all building our lives. We're all designing our lives. And we're either doing that more based on how God says to do it or more based on how the world says to do it. And in this point in God's story, the people of God had totally caved to the cultures around them. Completely. I mean, they had absolutely stopped living in any way the way God would have them live. And so Zephaniah 1 and 2 describes their lives. Listen to this. These are, this is God's accusations of his own people. They no longer trust in God or worship him. As a matter of fact, they worship Baal and the starry host, which is taken on from everything in the world. They engage in violence and fraud. They're complacent and unbelieving. They trust in wealth to save them. They're proud and they don't accept correction. They do not draw near to God. Does any of that sound familiar to our culture? Does any of that sound familiar to my life? They had totally caved. They had gone so far as to start participating in child sacrifice. Within the very temple of God in the Holy of Holies where God said, I will meet my people, I will dwell among my people. They were not just worshiping the God of the universe, they were worshiping other gods in God's house. This is how far they had caved to the culture around them. And so God says, you know, you, you stop focusing on me. You stop turning your heart to me. So I'll simply take my hands off of you. I'm going to allow, God said at the end of Zephaniah 2, utter destruction. I'm going to allow an enemy to come in and absolutely decimate Jerusalem. Take the temple, and it did happen. The Babylonians would later come in, and they took the temple of God, and they took it apart stone by stone, flattened it. They took the treasures of God from the Holy of Holy, and they walked down the streets triumphantly. Where is your God now? That's the end of Zephaniah 2. But the joy of Zephaniah 3 is this. God says, 
But if a small remnant of you will turn your hearts back to me, I will save you. I will bring you home. God says, but if you will turn your heart, it doesn't have to be clean and right and fixed up and pretty. It just needs to be genuine. If you'll turn your heart to me, I will bring you home. Listen to Zephaniah 3, 14 and 15. This is the promise. Seeing daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all of your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. But friends, God doesn't just stop there as if that wouldn't have been enough to bring us home. He, he keeps going into our souls. He says, I want to give my people back what has been stolen from your soul by this world. Listen to Zephaniah 3.17. Here is God's promise to us. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. The God of the universe delighting in you and rejoicing over you with singing. Do you believe that God delights in you? So maybe you believe God loves you. Maybe you sort of think, well, he's God. He kind of has to do that, right? Maybe, maybe you believe God likes you. But do you believe that God delights over you? Brendan Manning, one of my favorite authors, used to tell this story. And it helps us get our heart around, where are we with that question? He said, if Jesus was walking among us again today, and we all knew it. He was walking on the earth, God in flesh walking among us again. And we all knew it. And we were gathered here like this. And he was to walk in that door. And we all turned to see you open the door. And it was him. And the first person's eyes he locked contact with were yours. What would his face do? Would he know you? Would he do like Aaron did at Walmart where he saw somebody but didn't have time to talk to him so he did the dodge? Right? 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 Or, no, 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 no. God's word to us says he would light up when he saw you. Like he would look in your eyes and he'd be like, ha ha. Like you do when you see an old friend that you hadn't expected to see, like delight, pure joy over you. Because you have it all together, no. Because you never wander away, no. Because you're his. You're his child. And he delights. In you. See, the world, the enemy of our soul, would want us to define ourselves, you and me, define ourselves by our brokenness, by the things we're ashamed of, by the things we struggle with. Like maybe you've had a temper your whole life and you cannot get your arms around that. And you have struggled with it your entire life. Maybe you're terrible with finances and your whole story has been this, just this wreck of finances your whole life and you have so much shame around that. Maybe you care so much what other people think that you cannot even remember who you are anymore. Maybe you work yourself to death 
Because as long as you're producing, you have value. Maybe you avoid conflict at all costs, and that means you literally have nobody in your life that you're actually soul, heart, close to. Maybe, maybe there was someone in your past when you were young, and they spoke lies over you. They spoke lies about who you were and how God saw you and what you would do in this life, and you took those on, and to some degree, you still carry them and believe them. And you carry them around like a weight that translates into your story. Maybe you're growing up in the church, but you know right now as a teen, as a kid, that you're not living how God would call you. And you know what? The enemy would want you to take that and wear it like shame. He would want you to say, oh, you're broken, Holly. You're, you're, you're flawed, Holly. And that that would define you. And God says, no, no, you're mine. Yes, I want you to bring those things to me, and I, I want to help complete you, and I want to restore those pieces of you that are hurting and broken, but they do not define you. Friends, if God was only glad and delighted to see us when we were ver- working very hard to be good, then joy, the joy of God over you would be completely conditional. It would be based on how you're performing how well you're doing at being good. And the God of the universe says, that's not how I work. You're mine. Jesus showed us this. Sometimes, you know, it's hard to get our, our minds and hearts wrapped around God. And so the Bible says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So if we're trying to get our hearts wrapped around, how does God see me? How does God see this relationship and my story and my purpose? And we just look at Jesus and we read his story, his biographies, which is what we call the Gospels. And what we see in there that Jesus does over and over and over again is this. He moves towards us in our weaknesses. So we as people, we tend to shy away from each other's weaknesses we don't always know what to do with them. We, we are good at judging them. We're good at sort of saying, well, that's kind of your mess, and I don't want to get into that. Jesus, God, moves towards us in our weaknesses. He steps into them to bring completeness and restoration. The disciples and Jesus were walking one day, and Jesus purposely sent them off to get food because he knew that they were getting ready to encounter a very broken woman. And this woman had believed, and maybe some of you have lived this story, that a relationship, that a woman or a man was going to fill up that ache inside of her. And so she had quite literally gone through husband after husband after lover after husband, trying to fill up that ache within her. And Jesus sat down beside her. He moved towards her in that weakness, and he said, I see you. I know you. And I want you to know that only God is going to fill that up. He moved towards her in her weakness. And there was a widow another day that was, that Jesus and his disciples literally came along this funeral procession. And, and this woman had lost um, her only son. And apparently a husband had passed before that and she was going to be alone. And for a woman in that time, if family didn't take you in, that meant begging or prostitution. And Jesus looked at this woman's grief, and he looks at your grief this morning, and he moved towards her in her grief. 
We often don't know what to do with each other's grief. We don't know where to put it because we are never intended to feel it, to experience it. Jesus moved towards her in her grief, and he touched that young man and raised him. Jesus can raise up and heal things in your grief as well. There was another guy. I love this guy, Nicodemus. He was a head guy. He was a thinker. He was all up in his head, right? Couldn't, had a hard time getting to his heart, but he was good at doing life through his head. And he was a religious leader, and he came to Jesus at night because he wanted anybody to know that he was really thinking, I think that this is the real deal. And he came to Jesus, and he said, I believe, I think that you are who you say you are because I don't think that you could do what you're doing unless you really were God, but I'm struggling with it. I can't quite get my head around it. And Jesus said, I know. And he stepped into the, the thought process, the questioning with Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, if you'll really turn your heart, if you'll just bend it towards me and say that you want to follow me, I'll make you whole. I'll restore you. I'll show you the way. And he walked away that night, not sure, but he had a Jesus that had walked towards him in his weaknesses. And do you know that Nicodemus was at the cross? That he helped bury Jesus? He got there because Jesus moved towards him in his weakness. Friends, we live in a world that is corrupted by our own selfishness. It's marked by death and it's marked by life. And maybe you grew up in a family that had very low joy. And even as I say that this morning, you think, oh, that hurts just thinking about it. It was, it was low joy. I want to say to you this morning that in Christ, we can always return to joy. Friends, in Christ, you and I, we can grow in joy and we can return to joy. And I want to give us a sense of a little bit of just how this looks. I um, became a Christian as a freshman at Chapel Hill. Who knew you could become a Christian at Chapel Hill? <laughs> bizarre. But I did. And then I thought, well, I guess I should read the Bible. People told me to. I didn't have a Bible. I grew up in the church. I'd never read the Bible. As a matter of fact, I thought it was a little over the top to read the Bible. So I snuck out and got one. And they said, start with the biographies of Jesus, the gospels of Jesus. So I started reading and I still have that Bible. And here's my favorite part about it. As I, as I look in the Gospel of John and I see my handwriting from a freshman at Chapel Hill, it's like there's these aha moments. God sees me like that? that? Even in my mess, he would move towards me? Ooh, that person was messed up too. Good, I feel better. Okay. God was quite literally... As I read his word, here's what was happening. God, I was growing in my ability to see things as God sees them. See, my entire life up to that point, and maybe this is true of you, I had been trained to see things as my family saw them, or as Holly saw them, as my friends around me saw them. It was all just hodgepodge of what the culture was around me. And as I read God's word, and here's why we read God's word so that God can change our thinking and the way we live to be the way God sees us. A relationship, a marriage, raising children, forgiveness, changing our thinking to the way God sees things. That's what God's word does. 
But there's more than that. He gives us each other to help us return to joy. That's why he gave us God's people around us. So let me ask you this this morning. Who knows your mess and will sit there with you in it anyway? Who knows your mess and will still move towards you and maybe not know what in the world to do with it, but they'll be present with you in it? That's what God's people were literally designed to do. Friends, there are places here that you can, and this takes proactivity, this takes intentionality, and honestly, it takes a little courage. The first time I walked into a Bible study, I was like, please don't ask me a question. Please don't ask me a question. You just move into a community group. and move into a mentor thing, and you, and you intentionally say, I'm going to get to know somebody that also loves God. And I'm going to see what God does through that community. And I promise you that God's word and God's people are the way that he designed for you and I to return to joy. See, joy is an attitude that God's people can grow in. Maybe you're a person of low joy, but you can grow in joy. And not because of your circumstances. We're not talking about happiness where you're happy because your circumstances are good. You can grow in joy no matter what your circumstances are because of the hope and the love of God's promises. So I want to make that distinction for a second here. The distinction between happiness and joy. You know, we had an unexpected snow day right at the beginning of December. And, um, and I don't even remember the last time it snowed like that in December in North Carolina. And I grew up here. And I want to say that all the moms in the state of, you know, North Carolina were like, oh, we're going to add snow to December, right? But what happens at the Worsley House on snow day is we, we throw up in the doors and there's a big sledding hill near us. And all the neighbors come and those from church that can get there come. And we make soup and soup and soup. We had 10 pots of soup this time. And we just rest and laugh and play. And one of our dear friends who's our worship leader uh, for Lake Forest over in Davidson, Matt, he said, you know what, Holly? He said, no matter how many coats and scarves and gloves and boots and stuff I put on, I can never keep my nose warm in the snow. I said, Matt, this is very important information. Thank you for sharing that with me. (laughs) And then I was laughing later and I thought, that's it. Because he said, but if I drink a cup of coffee or a, a drink of hot chocolate, I'm warmed from the inside out. Nose warm. I said, that's it. That's the difference. Happiness is when we put things on our lives. We put on a good job, college degree, relationships, things we buy that make us happy. None of those things are bad. They're good things. But we think they will fill us from the inside. And we can still be cold in our souls even though we have all this. God says, joy, my joy, is is changing the way you think, the way you live, to the way I see things. It's letting God's people speak into your life and know you so well. They know your junk and your mess, and they still move towards you. That's God's joy. And friends, that's what we can grow in, even if our circumstances are really hard. So Zephaniah, he, he speaks this over his people, and I'll speak it over us today. Zephaniah 3.16 says this. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, to God's people, 
Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. Friends, if you are in Christ, if you know Christ, be strong in him. Be brave in him because he has sent you out. He, God is doing the same story. He's sending us out to a world that is dark and broken and hopeless. And he says just this, be a light. Be a little bit of hope and a little bit of peace and a little bit of joy in a, in a world that is dark. Would you be my light? Would you do it in strength, the strength of the Lord? Would you do it? Would you be brave for me? See, friends, our story is a story of grace. We're not earning God's delight. That's grace. That is, grace means we move from failure to family. My story, literally, and maybe yours, is that I move from failure being defined by my brokenness to family, to belonging. See, if you are in Christ, you're a child of the King. You're a daughter of the King. You're a son of the King. That means you're his heir. And when you're an heir, you get everything from the Father that he has. Things like protection and provision and wisdom, his presence, power, counsel, love, community, purpose. Here's my favorite, belonging. Friends, before I became a Christian, I never felt like I belonged anywhere, and nobody would have known it of me. God took me from defining me, defining myself by my brokenness and shame to family, to belonging, to being a daughter of the king. Friends, that can be your story. That can be your story. It's as simple as your heart making just a little bit of a turn and saying, God, I want my story to be yours now. I want to start right now today, and I want you to start reshaping my thinking the way I see the world, the way I see myself, the way I see everything. God, I made a mess of it, and I, I want to start today and let you do that. You make me complete. You restore me. Today just is the littlest turn of your heart. It's the, the smallest prayer in humility and honesty, and God takes you from failure to family, to belonging. Friends, who might you know that you could bring to the service tomorrow that needs that message, that needs somewhere to belong, that needs healing, needs hope? It needs you to be a light to be a brave, strong light in their life, and God put you near them for that reason. Let me pray for us.